0: Hello, welcome to episode three of Crossing the Threshold, the podcast where we sit down with inspirational folk from around the world talking about how the ways that we're engaging with young people shapes the future of our society. This week on the episode we sat down with Chris Taylor. Chris is an acclaimed author, poet, environmental activist and mentors the next generation of world changers. He has been described as a sacred revolutionary and his work is subtle shamanism. Chris is the director of the Oasis Foundation and he also holds several coordinating roles with Extinction Rebellion. So we sat down with Chris and spoke about his journey through activism, how it's helped him find his purpose, the importance of rites of passage and how the work that he does stokes the fire in the bellies of young people and helps them to bring about the change they wish to see in the world. So without further ado, let's dive in.
1: Well, really excited to have you here, Chris Taylor. This this podcast is really all about young people and that transitioning from youth into adulthood. I really wanted to get an idea of what for you, back when you were younger, was your first entry point into the global change movement. How, how did you get there? Mm,
2: thank you. Oh, it's such a pleasure to be here and to, having, to be having this conversation um, yeah well uh, my entry was um, when I was about uh, 15 and um, it was about 1978 or 9 and, um, and the big issue of the day was uh, anti-racism so the, the National Front were on the rise which was the kind of the first version of the neo-Nazi movement and, uh, it kind of, um, the anti-racism movement just came, it came to school, you know, it just kind of came in somehow. I think it was through music. Everybody just loved music and there were all these kind of anti-racism, uh, gigs going on. And, uh, and so I just jumped into that and, um, went on a march in London, uh, March that seemed to go on forever. <laughs> like, <laughs> I felt like I was walking forever. And then we got to Victoria Park and the Clash were playing, and you know, it's one of those iconic moments. And, uh, and I remember getting in real trouble at school because um, we had a, all of these stickers that, we, that you were supposed to stick on envelopes to reuse envelopes, you know, and they said, you know, no to the National Front and, and all of this. And I went around school sticking them all over the school including on the jars of acid in the chemistry lab <laughs> and I got in so much trouble for that because that was don't you know how dangerous that is that people won't know what's in that bottle because you've stuck this label on it <laughs> I was like oh sorry <laughs> but um yeah so that was my entry and uh it just kind of yeah it took off slowly from from there I guess
1: what a and, great
2: story yeah. <laughs> I can picture you in and, school. <laughs> yeah, I was kind of, I was quite rebellious, but um, but I was a rubbish activist. Oh my God, <laughs> I was useless. And that continued through, through uh, my college years. So I went to polytechnic because uh, I kind of actually finished without the exams I needed to go to university. So I went to polytechnic and... Uh, we were kind of like, we were on all the demos, you know, every weekend. We were kind of commandeering the, the student union minibus to go, you know, up and down the country on demonstrations and stuff. And we organised, uh, this was in the northeast of England, and there was a huge arms factory that made tanks on the banks of the River Tyne, Vickers. And so we decided we were going to picket uh, the, uh, the factory, um, and uh, kind of hand out leaflets to to the workers about how wouldn't it be great to convert the factory to some peaceful use, you know, and they'd still have jobs but just not building tanks, but, you know, and wouldn't this be great? And we showed up and uh, it was completely the wrong time of day. There was nobody coming in <laughs> and out because we hadn't, we didn't even have the nows to find out when the shift changed at the factory. <laughs> so we were kind of, we were... You know, we were willing and we were kind of sincere, and but we were not very good as activists, if I'm <laughs> honest.
0: <laughs> you say you got into the anti-racism protests at 15 years old. I'm curious, what is it? What is it at that age that got you, um, that kind of sparked your fire to get into the you know the social activism piece? Because I think, you know, as you say in our adolescence, we're inherently drawn to take risks and to discover the world. And uh, like you, So I'm curious how much of it was from a sense of justice and how much of it was uh, you know, your, your, your desire to be re- rebellious. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Good question. Um, so I think, uh, I guess there's a number of factors. So my parents had very strong it kind of gave me a very strong set of values. So the things that were important in our family household were, you know, that everybody was equal, there is good and there is light in everybody. Um uh and kind of peace and kind of pacifism was very important and kind of living a simple life, that was important as well. You know, that there was there's enough in the world for everybody's uh, need but not for everybody's greed you know and that you should you could live a simple life so that other people had what they needed you know these were things that were very important and a sense of social justice you know that there's um that the world is an unequal place so you kind of you stand alongside uh the oppressed you know that's your that's what you do so i think that was a background. Um, so justice was very definitely there. And I actually think that's an innate human characteristic. I think, you know, there's they've done some really interesting experiment, you know, psychological experiments with toddlers. And, you know, even a two-year-old has an innate sense of justice and fairness. You know, if one of their friends is uh, unequally treated, they kind of, you know, they put it right as best they can, you know, even as a toddler. So justice, definitely. Um, Yeah, there was a certain rebelliousness about me. Uh, I kind of, I find authority difficult to deal with.
1: (laughs) Um, So I I, uh, have always been quite rebellious in my life. Very strong ingredients as to becoming an active member of of movements, really. And yeah. it sounded like your intentions were there and your will was there, but maybe their lack of organisation skills, which is uh, yeah. not something we're really taught that well when we're younger. It's something we have to find along the way. Right. Yeah, definitely.
0: Chris, <laughs> you said you weren't a very good activist then. What, what do you mean by that? And how are you a better activist now?
2: Ah. Uh... Oh wow. Um, yeah, I think um, I just kind of blundered into things, I think, uh, without having an, uh, um, without having a, a strategy much. Um, and without thinking, I think I'd, I'd, uh, the biggest difference I would say now is I'm very conscious of how do I engage with the person who back then I would have seen as my opponent, <laughs> you know, and and more. It, and now it's more like, well, there aren't really any kind of op- opponents, you know, there is no enemy here. It's like, how do I engage with somebody else whose opinion is different to find out why, you know, why they come from where they come from? Um, do we have any common ground? Uh, is there anything I could do to shift? Them, Uh, is there even some sense in which, like, I need to shift, you know? Um, So it's more about I've I've learned a lot more about that kind of process of engagement. I would say, yeah, Um, and thinking how my actions would be received, you know, and how could my how could I be more skillful in the way I do what I do so that I can be better received?
1: Yeah, yeah, that sounds like a I mean, from what I understand about um, activism, certainly from how I was engaged with it, it it was it used to have a bit more of that against kind of energy. And there has been a shift. And certainly, I guess, the place I experienced it most en masse was during the Extinction Rebellion um, last year, where that the activism somewhat become a bit more heart-led and for something and therefore the conversations have changed.
2: Yeah I think you're, de- you're definitely right I think the activism we engaged in in the 70s and 80s you know and up, probably up to recent years you know was quite antagonistic it, there wasn't a kind of an us and them about it there was a sense of you were either on one side or you were on the other side and that was kind of that was within the opposition, as as much, you know, within the alternative movement. So back then, you know, in the in the late seventies, eighties, you were either red or you were green. You know, if you were in the alternative, you know, you, you were you were either a socialist of some kind or another, or you were an environmentalist, and the two never saw eye to eye. You know, um, um, and there was a kind of an antagonism towards. Yeah, towards the rich and powerful, of course. Um, and I think that has shifted somewhat. And I think with... Uh, and it's probably, you know, I, I, I would like to be able to say it would be with everybody. I don't know whether that's true, but with almost everybody, I feel like I could find some common ground, you know, some sense of where is the good in them that is that is unsettled by what's going on and how can that be... Uh, brought more to the fore in the way they live and view the world and care about things. Um, That's the kind of activism that I think I'm interested in now. Um, And doing that while also standing firmly kind of alongside um, people who are marginalised and oppressed in the system.
0: And it's interesting speaking about systems. You know, mm. One of the most oppressive systems is our education system and the way that we're bringing individuals into society and essentially indoctrinating them in many ways into the ideologies and stories that we're telling ourselves about the world. And in the work that we do, and I know the activism you do, it's about trying to encourage those systems to take a long, hard look at themselves and... Question: What's no longer serving, and what what doesn't work anymore, and what what's the suffering and the pain that is often inadvertently being caused by us feeding these systems? Yeah. I was curious to ask you: What have you seen succeed in your work in uh, encouraging people within systems to reevaluate those modalities, and perhaps with a uh, lens on young people or mm. uh, as well? Mm. Yeah. It's a
2: good question. I, I've uh, I've spent quite a lot of time in the public sector and uh, in kind of health and social care and in education, um, and I I think you know my experience has always been that the the vast majority of people come into those professions because they care they care deeply about uh, about working with other people to make other people's lives better. Um, and I think that's true of, you know, of the education system. You know, most people come in to the education system because they care about young people, they care about children, they want them to, uh, to have fun, you know, and to learn uh, and to grow and to grow into who they are. Uh, and I think in education that's really central, you know, people wanting to support young people to grow into the fullness of who they are, you know, their, their fullest potential, um, and I think that's in my experience, that's what motivates most most people and um we get caught up in a system and and in the paperwork of the system, you know, and in the regulatory system that kind of enforces the paperwork that enforces the system, you know um and uh and I think when you when you support people to kind of, to step back from that, to take time out of that, you know, the day-to-day, to reflect, they very easily, you know, drop back into, oh, this is why I came into it, you know, this is what I care about. Um, and, uh, and, I mean, Nikki mentioned it earlier, there's something about kind of how do you connect with people's hearts, you know, and when you connect with people's hearts and, you know, their passions and their Their purpose, the sense of purpose in life, um, then I think change is always on the cards from that point.
1: Yeah, purpose is Mm. such an important place to start, especially when, when looking at acting on behalf of something greater than yourself. Like, so I know that you're back drop with a lot of this work is say for example climate change which is so massive Mm -hmm. but then it's like but the starting point for you in in almost engaging in that conversation is purpose and and starting with the I like myself um two things come up that I'm really curious about one is I'd love to know how kind of young people respond to that approach but Prior to that, and I'd love to know, what is it about young people? Like, why
2: then that, that's your juice? Yeah, thanks. Uh, <laughs> great question. Um, well, I I, uh, I loved being young myself. You know, those feel like really um, kind of honest years, you know, when I felt, mm. like, close to who I was, you know, um, and just... Um, full of kind of energy and creativity and, um, and so I think part of it is hankering back to that, you know, uh, (laughs) just, and to be around people who have still got some of that, you know, that, that, uh, so it's partly that I think, um, you know, and so when I'm with young people, you know, there's more of a sense of possibility, you know, more of a sense of, um. Of energy potential, um, and just kind of the ideals are nearer the surface. You know that they, they haven't had years and years of being told that their ideals are idealistic, you know, or, <laughs> or fantastical. You know, so they're kind of the the, the the yeah that that motivation and drive for something different just feels closer to the surface.
0: What you say makes me think of uh, Jay Griffiths in her book *Kith*. She talks about how the words "will," "well," and "wild" are etymolo- etymologically linked, so that our you know our freedom is, you know, our freedom, our wellness, and our wildness are all connected. And it kind of harks back to the thought that you know there was a day where you know it's the fact that they're linked linguistically shows that there was probably a time where we really appreciated those. Uh, being connected, it, it gets me thinking about your comments about being connected to that youthful spirit and energy that um, often gets beaten out of us a little bit as we grow up.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. I love Jay's work. We uh, we work together a little bit uh, within Extinction Rebellion. She's uh, she's great. There is something uh, well, just it, it, uh, another thing I do is is I am a tai chi practitioner. You know and um and that that does have a bearing on kind of how I do things um and how I do activism, um, but there is this sense that the that it's the free flow of energy around the body that keeps us healthy um, and uh, and I wonder if that has something to do with that sense of wellness and wildness being being linked. you know there's something about needing a free flow of of you know who we are. To be to be able to express our authenticity, authenticity, yeah, fluidly and honestly, and uh that that's part of what keeps us healthy
1: and resilient. You mentioned like this notion of purpose, and it's quite a big word, uh, in the sense like everyone almost has their own idea of what it is, and I'd be I'm really curious to know how you facilitate, like what are the the ingredients that that you facilitate to unlock purpose in whether it's young people or leaders and those groups or individuals that you're working with? Yeah, thanks.
2: Yeah, well, there's a story about purpose and then I can answer your question. So um, the story is I was working with a a group of young people in... um, Actually, in Germany, and we were talking about um, kind of. They were just expressing this sense of uh, one one guy who was from uh, Panama, I think, uh, was talking about how how he wasn't sure kind of what to do with his life and whether he could whether he could be true to himself throughout his career, you know, or whether he'd have to take a job in order to kind of you know uh, to support. His wider family and then his own family when he had one, and um, and we talked about this for a while. Um, and I kind of I ended up saying, well, I think, you know, you'll you've got a you'll have a purpose in life, you know, and uh, there might be a point in your life when you can't quite uh, live up to it because kind of something gets in the way, life gets in the way, you know. You might have a family to support and you can't quite do that for your career you know but sooner or later it'll come back you know it'll come back and find you um, uh, because you can't escape it and he was like so you think everybody has a purpose in life and I kind of I hadn't quite thought of it until that point and I was like yeah definitely I definitely do and um, and then I was walking back with my colleague afterwards and she said well what you know what is it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what is it how do you find it and I'm like well I don't know but well, I, she said what's your purpose and I, I was like well I'm not quite sure but I but all I know is that if I if I listen to my body it just I know it's here in my chest like and it's like a kind of a sense of um this sounds a bit weird but it's like uh a, a, it's like um an oval shape of white light that just sits here behind my breastbone, and if I if I follow that, then I'll be fulfilling my purpose. Um, and and what I've come to, and then what I discovered through my Tai Chi practice is that in Chinese, in the Chinese kind of Tai Chi philosophy, that 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 is the centre of your kind of your spiritual purpose, your your underlying soul purpose in life, it, it is said to reside there. And I was like, holy cow. <laughs> you know, how does that work? And so I just... So there's something about... Um, if you feel... If you can feel a felt experience of feeling very grounded and just let the kind of... Um, the uh, day-to-day events and the, the, you know, harsh words that somebody said to you or the kind of the, the mindset that, that when you're a victim of something or in life or, you know, that you're hard done by or, you know, whatever it is, when you can drop all of that and you just feel this kind of grounded internal sense of, oh, okay, everything's okay, this is where I feel at my most centred, the more I act from that place, you know, the more I move towards my purpose in life, you know. And, and so I just kind of made that my practice for, you know, after that event for like three or four years. It was just like, OK, just feel that grounded place. To answer your question, what do I do to help people find their purpose? Um, so what's ended up working... Around this um, is there are uh, I guess a series of exercises which together feel like they help you find some of the jigsaw pieces that give you your purpose um, so there are things like um, there's an exercise that that I find really useful around values uh, what are the three values that really guide me what what are the things I care about most in life um, shape how I act and how I make decisions Um, and you can draw those as a triangle as points on a triangle and then you can go deeper and deeper into that triangle what connects these values and what sits underneath them and then you usually get to something quite important about what motivates a person Um, there's a beautiful exercise uh, which I learned from Charles Eisenstein which is about um, what are your gifts what are my gifts um and it's a, a, an exercise you do in pairs uh when you reflect back to each other the gifts that you see in each other and it's re- it's really beautiful it's really beautiful um so i like that um and then there's an exercise about also the other side of that so what pains you in the world you know what's breaking your heart at the moment or what really gets you annoyed and aggravated and there's something in the relationship between what are my gifts, you know, what am I good at, what do I bring to the world, and what is the thing in the world that really pains me, that somewhere in there is your, is your, pur- is your purpose and how you can deliver it. Because your, your purpose is, in my experience, one's purpose is always, you know, just one move away from the thing that wounds you the most so sitting right next to your wound is your is your purpose and the one is the clue to the other Um, and then there's a there's a question which i found after uh, uh, those exercises that quite often lands for people not for everybody but for a lot of people um there's a question about uh when you think back to your childhood you know and you put yourself in the position of being kind of seven or eight that that kind of age um and you kind of you 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 kind of locate yourself in that part of your life uh what do you feel was most missing so what was most missing at, at that point in your life and that can quite often be a clue to the thing that you want to set right in the world um uh, and, and so you go from well, what was missing and how could you bring that to other people? How could you bring that thing that you feel was missing for you? How could you bring that to other people? And maybe that's your, you know, your life purpose.
0: It's interesting, all those you know, all of those speak to the importance of connection, you know, connection mm. to what's going on inside of us, connection to our, our past and what was missing. Mm. Yeah, and the more closely we're attuned to you know, what's our, our inner landscape, mm. uh, the more we can then connect outwardly from there, and then, you know, like you say, take that forward into the world and to drive us to be to be yeah. of service, to bring yeah. joy into the world for ourselves and others.
2: Yeah, and and that sense of uh, that sense of service is crucial because if I'm sat with my wound and I don't know what to do with that, then that wound, you know, becomes a pain for me, you know. And, and in my, if I then move to activism, then it becomes a chip on my shoulder or it becomes a stick with which I beat somebody else. But if I, if I can um, identify that wound and if I can think, well, how do I bring that to other people, then my activism becomes service and my wound becomes, you know, the key to my purpose.
1: Through asking those questions, it's so powerful because that's kind of what school and the system is not asking of them. Like very rarely is the school system saying, you know, what pains you? What are are your gifts outside of academia? And and really being shown. So it's really beautiful to know that um, there are spaces that, that... I mean, I know in my work that's exactly similarly how I offer and, and engage with young people. Um, and I love how you've kind of reframed activism into service because in a way you are giving or facilitating uh, uh, and where they can put that energy once they've discovered it. And I'd love to know if there's a, something that sparks a mind where you've seen young people in action like what 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 has that been an experience where you've witnessed young people energize that into some sort of service or yeah
2: there's a a story I'm reminded of before I get to that so if I don't come back to that let me uh, remind me again so (laughs) it's just it's the thing about it's the thing about service so um there was a guy who was part of the um occupy uh, move, movement a guy called pancho ramos Steele, um who, who was based in oakland and um he's a, an undocumented uh, migrant into the us um and he was part of the whole oakland uh, occupy movement and um and his his kind of motto is that for Every 10 actions as an activist that you do in the world, one can be an action of protest uh, or objection or kind of standing against something. And the other nine should embody the world that you want to uh, see. And I kind of, that has really stayed with me. Yeah, so my activism has become, you know more about it, it's what what is the right balance so so for me 1 and 9 works for somebody else it might be you know 2 and 8 you know so i'm i'm not going to quibble over that but you know where is your own balance between you know the, the things that you feel aligns that you're standing on that shouldn't be crossed and and what are the actions that are creating the world that you want to create um, you know that you want to see in the world. Uh, now, to return to your question, uh, I've seen a lot of uh, I've seen a lot of what you you describe. So that I, could, you know, there are loads of stories I could tell. Um, but so the things that touch me are so when I'm working with a group of young people and we're do, you know we're doing the kinds of exercises we were talking about earlier and they're going through a process. And, you know, you kind of, there's quite often a moment when you see a light bulb go off, you know, and something something lands for somebody and it's like, oh, and something changes. And then years later, you know, you hear about what they've done with their life, you know, and how they've made a change in their life. You know, um, I'm thinking of uh, people I've worked with who were kind of tied up in uh drug culture and gangs and you know and 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 have just kind of moved out of that you know and and found a a, you know a career in transforming the education system so that it's open to others you know because they were they were pained by not having equal access themselves you know because of their because of their race or their background or their class, you know, and then, and then going back into the education system and trying to change that, you know, those things kind of really move me when I see somebody um, kind of change their life, you know. Um, so there's that. And then I've seen a, a lot of young people also kind of go through these kinds of processes and then find a place... Um, where they can take on great facilitation work themselves and I love that. We were lobbying the um, the local council here where I live uh, to declare a climate emergency um, this would be about a year ago now and uh, there, were, there were a group of kind of us hardened kind of activists um, stood on the council steps you know kind of not quite sure what we were supposed to be doing, handing out leaflets, trying to talk to counsellors as they kind of came in and, you know, and... Uh,
1: at least got the timing right. Yeah we, yeah, we turned up at the right time, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
2: I learned something over these past 40 years of activism. Yeah, got the right timing, yeah, had the right materials on hand, but it just all kind of felt a little bit flat, you know, and uh, I was thinking, what's what's wrong here you know this just all feels kind of not quite it's almost like we don't believe we're gonna make a difference you know it just felt a little bit flat and then we heard this noise of you know kind of distant rumbling and uh, and it was a group of uh, of the school children who were on uh, climate strike, you know, came marching <laughs> down the street, you know, with drums and kind of, you know, singing and a megaphone. And there was about 100 of them. And there were, I think there were 20 of us, you know, on the council steps. And this just this wave of energy just swept into the square, you know, and up the, up the steps and they stood there and were, you know, calling out the call and response chants and that got us all in, you know, and so all of a <laughs> sudden we were energised and, yes, oh yeah, maybe this is going to make a difference. And then they, um, we were allowed so many people into the public gallery, I can't remember how it was, how many it was, and we just thought, right, let the kids go in, you know, and so we stayed outside, they went inside. And I swear that it was, you know, the councillors making a decision and sitting there, you know, seeing the young people in the gallery, the people whose futures they were debating, you know, I Mm. think that made all the difference.
0: Nothing more powerful than that, really. (laughs) Yeah,
2: yeah. So it was great. It was great.
1: And actually we've got, you know, Greta, all it took was one young person to actually get out there and, and make a stand that I I, I really feel like that has sparked this new way that we we give a space to young people stepping up and playing a role and knowing that they can and do make a difference. And I think that they need to know that because it is their future. And from our conversation just the other day, they know their future feels quite bleak. So this is a way of energising that yeah. um,
2: yeah and i think that attitude towards young people has has shifted uh, in my lifetime you know i think when i look back you know i think young people were you know there still was this thing about being seen and not heard you know that that was a thing you know and um and to be patronized and to be taught um and i think i think we've woken up to the fact that that actually You know, young people kind of have a certain, uh, come into life with a certain wisdom (laughs) um, and a certain energy and a certain kind of, um, their structural position, you know, allows them to see things with a clarity you know, that, that when you're a little bit older and a little bit more jaded, you know... Uh, that unad, you, unadulterated.
0: You unadul-
2: <laughs> unadulterated, <laughs> yeah. Isn't that funny?
1: <laughs>
2: Isn't that funny, you know? Um, so I think I think people are... Uh, uh, you know, and I'm sure a lot of young people won't quite have had this as their experience always, but I think I, I, it, I notice people more willing and interested in listening to young people than they were in my, you know, when I was young so
0: mm. uh, Definitely One yeah. of the things I'm got me thinking about and it kind of links to your your book and the work, you, you know, obviously the activism you do is often is around you know, it's obviously so, it's around social reform but also about how we're connecting or not connecting to nature mm. and I was curious to ask what what experiences you've had that have, in nature that have really shaped that uh, that part of your activism and how, so for us, the work we do with the youth, it's often with inner city youth who, because of their lack of opportunities, don't get the chance to go out into natural settings, into the outdoors. And we know from kind of many generations of authors and writers and As as age-old as we've been existing as humans, we've gone out into nature to seek wisdom and to seek understanding of the world and seek connection with ourselves and others. There is that famous John Muir quote where he says he he only went out for a walk, and uh, it was on going out that he realised he was actually going in. And so, I was curious about how you've how that's been a journey for for you. Yeah, yeah, great question. I mean,
2: when I was young, I think I spent the majority of my life outdoors. It's funny to say, I almost don't want to say it, but I, I, I wouldn't say I was a nature lover, you know. I just loved being outdoors and playing and, you know, so I was like, I was active, you know, that was my thing. You know, as long as I was running about, climbing something, you know, chasing something, you know. <laughs> that's. And I'm talking right up to my teenage years here. But I have come... I have come to it, you know, lately. Um, So it came to me late, uh, if I'm honest. Um, And uh, the the first couple of experiences, I would say, is, again, it was in facilitation. So another thing I I sometimes do in facilitation is kind of a guided uh, visualisation, just taking people to somewhere in the world that they find you know is really important to them uh somewhere outdoors um and just kind of sitting there and relaxing in that place and enjoying it you know and then asking the question um what is the world asking for from me now and it's a very powerful question you know in that when you're in that space uh, that quite often gets a gets an answer that gets again to your purpose you know um, so those kinds of experiences, and then um, I would say, since moving uh, to where I live now, so I, I now live on a on an organic farm it's forty two acres on the on the border between England and Wales um, and it's a it's you know it, it's not the most stunningly beautiful part of the British Isles, but it has a kind of a, an understated kind of beauty about it and I've become really attached to this piece of land really attached and I remember about six months after I moved here going out to the garden to uh, to pick some vegetables for my tea and realizing that my that my survival was now dependent on this piece of land you know that my food comes from it you know so I now have a A relationship with a piece of land where we're mutually dependent you know the health of the land uh it's not dependent upon me but is you know is improved can be improved by what i do and i'm certainly dependent upon it for you know at least half my food now and you know if i'm honest i i regularly go out most often at night and i you know i walk around um and I'll stand by a tree, you know, and I'll talk to a tree, you know, and, uh, and see what answers come back. And I'll ask questions. And, you know, if I'm in the right kind of almost meditative state of mind, you know, an, an answer will ping back, you know. And who knows where that comes from? Is that my subconscious? You know, is that divine intervention? Is that the tree talking? I don't really care. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't care what name we give it. There is something that, if you, if you're kind of empty enough, you know, and uh, if if you're sincere enough in your question and empty enough to accept an answer, <laughs> you you will get one.
1: <laughs> mm. Stillness is an important stillness part yeah. of re- being able to really like the slowing down in order to listen when you were speaking then it made me think a a bit about um your book the the Tao of Revolution um which is uh lots of people have been reviewing it as finally an accessible book around climate change and transformation but something that keeps coming back to me is you mentioned it in your relationship with currently with the land but it's like that Actually, our change starts from the inside out, and I'd just love to for you to be able to share a little bit about this book, what it means to you, and yeah what why you've put it out there now and into the world yeah thanks
2: um I wrote the book because i kind of I was getting a bit tired of reading books. That were telling me everything that was wrong with the world, um, and had a you know an expert analysis of all the problems of the, of the world, but kind of would always have one chapter at the end saying, "Oh, and um, we really need to think about what we do about this," or um, <laughs> yeah. you know, and I was like, "Oh, don't leave me there." <laughs> and I kind of I said something about that I posted something like that on Facebook and somebody posted back she she said um oh well I look forward to reading your you know your your views on what we should do about it and I thought okay all right (laughs) challenge accepted (laughs) you know (laughs) so people yeah yeah so um so it was that it was that I feel like um that you get a bit stuck unless you have a, a sense of a vision of where you want to be getting uh, and i think that's a little bit where we are as a kind of as a human species at the minute we kind of we're a little bit stuck in this um this system that we've got that nobody really much enjoys you know everybody feels a little bit unsettled by it when COVID locked down, you know, we saw how quickly nature rebounded and we thought, oh God, oh yeah, (laughs) we're doing something wrong here, you know. So uh, we're stuck in that without, you know, enough of a vision of, oh, it could be different and this is how it Mm -hmm. could be different. So I kind of, I wanted to write about that or I accepted the challenge of writing about that. So how would we... So I tried to do... I tried to write the book in thirds, kind of one third about what's wrong with the the way things are, one third about what kind of movement or how would we be the change that we want to see. So what would the movement look and feel like, you know, if, if it was really about being the change? And then one third about, okay, well, what is the vision of where we want to head mm-hmm. towards? Um, uh and I don't know quite whether I succeeded in that, but that was the, that was the kind of intention. So that it, it and I don't, yeah, the, the intention was to kind of, it was an experiment. Can you leave people feeling inspired in some way? Can you leave people feeling hopeful even in the face of everything that, you know, that we're facing? Um, and could that energize people to kind of, to start, you know, finding their own solutions? You know, being the change that they want to see in the world.
0: Shows how important it is the stories we're telling ourselves or the stories that get passed on If it's a story of destruction and chaos and separation without the alternative, it's quite hard to, to, to move forward from that. I like how in the book you speak about ownership and ownership of uh, you know, land and how when we're living most in harmony with nature and ourselves is when we're not... We're not tied to this idea of private ownership, which, you know, leads to com- competitivity and and is, is it, sort of things. Is
2: it close to say that I am now owned by this piece of land? You know, I don't know whether that's more closer to the truth um, than that I own it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Or maybe there is no ownership e- either. You know, I can hear the land saying, "No, I don't want to own anything." <laughs> you know, that's what I just heard. You it's have like, <laughs> no, no. Well, no, it's just this sense of, yeah, you're you're more than entitled to walk on me. You know, as long as you tread lightly, and you know, more than welcome to have you here. You know, uh, yeah,
1: I'm, I'm, I know we're coming towards the end. I mean, something that that we haven't kind of really touched upon um and I I don't want to open it out too much but as as we we have an interest in this notion of rites of passage and Mm. and and the turning of one time in your life into another and just really curious to get kind of your final um piece on yeah what With your work with young people today, what would you say feels like the essential um, pieces to their rites of passage in in transitioning into, like, what would be for them healthy adulthood? What feels, like, really important uh, for them to encounter, experience, or that you see whether you know as a father or as a facilitator that really supports that mm. transitioning mm. what was rites of passage for you in your youth that were like oh now this is like adulthood or yeah. this is the entry into it
2: yeah yeah well i i know what my uh rite of passage was so uh when would this be so i'd have been uh, 21 i guess eighty five the winter of eighty five to eighty six th- which was the year after the big famine in ethiopia so the whole band aid kind of you know famine and i went to um i went to ethiopia um and i i'd i'd been invited by because i was involved in some of the kind of solidarity movements you know in 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 the west and so i was invited by this organization called um the Tigray People's Liberation Front. So it was a guerrilla army um, that was fighting a civil war in Ethiopia and went on to win the war and to be to become the government for. Well, they're still they're still in power now, um, and uh, so I kind of threw myself into a c- civil war in in the in the wake of a famine, <laughs> so and. Uh, So it was kind of like, and I look back on it now and I read stuff about rites of passage and how, you know, a rite of passage in a, in a authentic, you know, um, indigenous society is, is kind of, is a dice with death, you know, (laughs) at some level. And I think, oh yeah, I'd kind of, yeah, I'd kind of put myself in a kind of, in a, in a fundamental position of, of risk. So that I could kind of, you know, test my mettle really, you know, um, and what did I want to do with my life, you know, and how genuine was I about things and, you know, so um, I think I think rites of passage are important and it's almost like if if we don't have them in society, then some people will you know, invent them for themselves, you know, and I think a lot of young people are kind of, you know, or some young people are doing that, you know, I think, um, uh, you know, risk, what's seen as risky behaviour, you know, is is that, you know, is a, is a yearning for how do I find meaning in my life? You know, how do I find something that, that kind of, well, it does two things. It kind of, it harnesses my energy. It kind of acknowledges that I got this energy and that I am someone now. You know, I'm not a child anymore. I'm this kind of, this new thing that kind of, and I have to show that in some way, in some kind of, you know, ritualistic way of, you know, proving myself in some way. Um, you know, and there is in it. There is some clue about who you are and, you know, where you're going in life, you know. And I think at at one level I am a revolutionary, you know, Uh, kind of it's more of a a grounded or more of a spiritual, you know, prefigurative revolutionary stance now. But it was a, you know, there was a clue (laughs) that I threw myself into a revolutionary battle Uh, was no, was no mistake no coincidence yeah,
1: um, that, that sounds like a real true rite of passage because you also separated from where you lived went somewhere yeah. unknown dived yeah. in and then yeah. obviously brought your learnings and integrated that back into your life um yeah. When we're in our edge, that's where we learn about ourselves, and it's such a beautiful experience. But it's very experiential and visceral, and it's really lovely to hear your rite of passage. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I feel like we should uh, put a little disclaimer: to yeah. we're not advising going to join civil <laughs> yeah. wars.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't. No, we're absolutely. There's not. other ways to do uh, it. <laughs> and and the thing about safety is interesting as well because I yeah I. I caught malaria when I was there because I didn't take the right you know pills with me you know because part of me thought I was completely invulnerable you know so like that's you know that's the downside you know I was a bit of a I I was
1: yeah anyway. I'm Um, really grateful you shared that by the way uh, because I'd never thought about my time in my 20s in Africa doing voluntary work in really dangerous places was a rite of passage and i it's so true so and maybe that is why you do see so many young people going on those kind of experiences because within their current like society there aren't those sorts of spaces for them to do that yeah yeah yeah. and it's
2: uh yeah it's to put yourself outside of your comfort zone you know to kind of to test yourself you know you know what is my level of endurance you know and it's an inner journey as well you know Mm -hmm. when you're outside of your your normal environment you learn so much about who you are you know and what you can do you know and uh, so i think yeah i think we're finding young people finding all manner of ways to to invent a rite of passage for themselves you know the gap year (laughs) voluntary service dabbling with drugs you know, getting into gangs. You know, like some are healthy, some are not healthy. Some are, you know, some are useful. Some prove counterproductive. But, but in the absence of a structured rite of passage, people are inventing it for themselves an because it's so yeah. needed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, do, I do believe
1: that. Wow, what an honor! This has been such yeah. a great uh, conversation. So, say so nice to hear. On. Yeah, to hear your uh, adventures, your passions, your purpose and, um, and and actually thank you so much for offering in quite a deep level how you do this work because even I just really feel like some of our listeners can even just go away and ask some of those questions themselves and get something uh, really meaningful mm, from listening. Um, so thank you so much. Chris. Oh, I've
2: really enjoyed it. It's yeah. been such great fun.
1: Thanks so much, everyone, for tuning in to this episode. We hope you found this conversation as fruitful as we did. In order to keep in touch with the work that Max and I do in The Visionaries, feel free to check out our website, www.thevisionaries.org.uk. You can follow us at Twitter at VisionariesEdu and follow us on Instagram with The Visionaries UK. Have a beautiful day. See ya.